Good morning. Uh, this, is, this is exciting. I'm so glad you guys are back. Um, did anybody have a chance to watch for the first time or rewatch The Office this summer? Yeah? All right. Uh, I didn't. My daughter, my youngest daughter did for the first time. Um, I spent some time exploring Pleasant Park and the surrounding areas. Um, some of you may know that area well. Um, but uh, there's an episode in The Office where Nellie Bertram, who is uh, kind of a minor character until the end, but uh, she comes into the office in Scranton and she basically takes Andy's job as manager. Um, and Nellie's actually kind of important because she, um, through her interactions with Toby, like confirms to us that Toby Flenderson is in fact the Scranton Strangler. Um, <laughs> right? Yes. Um, but she, she, she has to win over the office, right? She has to win over the different employees in the office. So she begins with, with Phyllis by telling Phyllis that she has like lovely fingernails and tiny little feet. And Phyllis is, is smitten by that. Um, Dwight, she tells Dwight he's the atlas of the office. He carries everything on his shoulders, holds it up. And of course, Dwight wants the, he, he is taken by that. Um, eventually she comes around to Pam, who Pam is the, um, the one who's the most resistant perhaps to um, Nellie's charms, and Nellie brings her into the office for a performance review and asks her, you know, Pam, what do you really want? Um, Pam says, I want consistency in the managerial position. And Nellie says, no, no, Pam, what you really want, you really want rest. And Pam's like, how did you see into my soul, you wicked woman? Um, but it, it, and then Nellie goes on, look, Pam, I know you've, you've got the baby at home, um, you're nursing, um, Jim's not getting up at night with, with the baby, really, is he? She's like, well, no, because I'm the one that's nursing. And, and Nellie says, what you really want? You want a nap. And Pam's like, yeah, I do want a nap. And so Nellie goes over and she pulls this blanket and pillow out of uh, a file cabinet and like offers it to her and says, we'll just put it down here, right here on the floor. You can take a little nap. We'll turn out the lights. No one will know. And Pam says, literally, she's a witch. And then she lays down on the ground, <laughs> cuddles up, and Nellie turns the lights off and takes off. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of perfect, but I think, in all honesty, if you were to try to get to the heart of every single one of us in, the op- in, this, in this room, like, wouldn't all of us fall for that? <laughs> um, I totally would. If you offered me a nap in the middle of the day, like, I'm done. Um, but I, I think, in, in all honesty, the, that, that call to rest that she offers, um, I think it resonates with us so deeply because it, it's a desire that's far deeper than just simply um, that rest, that we desire um, rest um, in the deepest parts of our souls. And, and Jesus is actually going to talk about that um, in the passage we're going to look at in Matthew 11. But just setting a little bit of context, um, Jesus of Nazareth, <clears throat> a carpenter, the son of Mary and Joseph, brother of James, cousin of John. Um, and he's been walking through Palestine and he's been teaching about the kingdom of God and he's been performing miracles. He's healed a paralytic. He's healed a woman who had an issue of blood. He healed a, um, a little girl who had been sick. He's brought sight back to blind men. He's healed demon-possessed men who were mute and they can then again speak. Um, he's begun to do these miracles. 
But it's kind, of, it's kind of odd and unnoticed because he's a carpenter and because he's not coming in um, pomp and circumstance, but he's coming to the least. And John the Baptist, who Jesus calls the greatest of all the prophets, even has to ask him. He sends people to ask him, are you the expected one? And Jesus says, tell John what you see and what you hear, and he'll know who I am. Well, that's the, the, the basic picture of where we sit um, in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, Jesus has just talked about the cities that he's passed through that have ignored him and have kind of uh, disparaged him and put him off. And then he begins to pray, and this is what he prays. At the time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. Jesus, the Son, is praying to his Father. How cool that we get a glimpse of how God prays to God, how the Son prays to the Father. And he starts by praising him. Father, I praise you. You're the Lord of heaven and earth that you've hidden these things and that you have revealed these things. I'm grateful, and this is what he's grateful for. He's grateful that God has hidden certain things. And what is he talking about? He's talking about the significance of his miracles. He's talking about the messianic age that has arrived, the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, I'm glad that you've hidden them from the wise and the intelligent and that you've instead revealed them to little children. And he's not talking about wise and intelligent as in actually educated and little children as in, you know, small people who are young in age. What he's talking about is rather those who are self-sufficient and believe themselves wise versus those who are needy and know it. He's really talking about the proud and the lowly. And he says, Father, I'm grateful and I give you praise that you have hidden the kingdom of God from the proud and that you're instead revealing it to the lowly and the humble. And just so we're left not trying to understand some arbitrary distinction between what that means, between the wise and the children, we have a picture of what he's just been doing. The wise and the proud are those cities that he's walked through and where the religious leaders, those who know the divine truths and things, have cast him away. But then where he has spoken into and he has healed the lowly, the children of the paralyzed, the sick, the blind, the demon-possessed, the children of need. And it would be good and right for us to ask ourselves who we feel kindred to. Who are we? Are we the self-sufficient and wise? Ones who believe that we have it kind of together and we get it. Or are we the needy and know it? Who are we? Where do we stand in our own hearts? Jesus delights in God's merciful plan of revelation. He delights in loving the lowly children of literally ushering the lame, the suffering, the blind, the mute into the kingdom of God that he is bringing. So a picture of God's heart in revealing to the lowly. And then Jesus continues to reveal, and he's going to reveal his role in this kingdom of God. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. God is pleased to reveal his kingdom 
his plans, his purposes. And hear this, God is pleased to reveal himself to us. And he's chosen to do that through his son and to anyone that the son chooses to reveal him. And we think about the oddity of that. Think about this Jesus of Nazareth, this humble carpenter, that he is fulfilling the law, that he's fulfilling all things, and he is the exclusive agent of God's revelation. And not only does no one know the Father except for the Son, Jesus, but no one knows Jesus, no one knows the Son except the Father. His majesty is so grand that he can't be fully known. His glory is so magnificent that it can't be fully seen. Yet still, he is the image of the invisible God. In him, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. He is the Son, and he is the Messiah. And that is heavy theological truth. A man who ate and drank, who wept, who sweat, who laughed, he's the Son of God. He's the image of the invisible God, the fullness of God dwelling in bodily form. This is Jesus Christ, the Son. He's the revealer of God and the revealer of the kingdom of God. And if there were ever a comment that would push normal people away, wouldn't this be it? This comment that he's claiming deity, divine authority, power over sin and sickness and demons, and you would think that that would be something that would separate one from others so distinctly. But that's why his next words are so amazing, because they reveal the heart of God. And he makes one of the most amazing invitations that has ever been issued in all of history. He says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I was watching a video the other day. Um, one of my heroes when I was in high school, a, a misplaced hero, to be honest, uh, but lead singer of the Smiths, Morrissey. And he was, he was talking about... Um, life. And Larry King was interviewing and asked him if he gets hurt often. He said, well, you know, modern life, modern life is, is hard. He said, modern life, there's no poetry in modern life. There's nothing very nice about modern life. But I will tell you this, that there's an invitation from ancient life that stands for modern life and makes modern life beautiful. And it's that, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is the fulfillment of the ancient paths and the good way, and he offers rest to the weary and the heavy laden. And this is a part of Scripture, this invitation that I think penetrates into the deepest parts of who we are as human beings, into our deepest desires, whether we know why or not. I think when someone says, come and I'll give you rest, every one of us hungers for that offer. So, why is that? I think it's because we are all weary and heavy laden. Now, weary does not indicate malcontent. It's not talking about simply being privileged. I think weariness is a reflection of the heart living in a home that it was not made for. Hear that? I think everyone grows weary because we are not created for this place. Weariness is a soul that's made tired by the constant effects of sin of sadness, even the inevitability of death. 
and it makes even the most joyful person in the world wonder how long, how long, Lord, how long? And we're heavy laden, too. We're burdened. The heavy loads that the Pharisees put on the shoulders of the people is probably what the Jews would have heard at that time out of the lips of Jesus, a call to obedience that no one could fulfill. But like the weary, the weight of sin and its effects bears heavy on every human heart, the weight of frustrated toil and work, bearing the burden of guilt and shame and sadness of others, even the burden of the mundane, the everyday that at times feels pointless. And Jesus calls us to come and take rest in him. So what is rest? He offers this thing that sounds so good and we know we want it, but what is it? What is he actually talking about? It's a rest that he offers us that's both now, present, and future. It's a present rest that actually points to a future rest and it has to be that way, right? It has to be both sides because immediate rest now that ends in death is pointless. A future rest without present rest is incomplete. But Jesus, he offers us a perfect rest, a rest that goes to our deepest need for rest. Here, hear what kind of rest he offered the people that he addressed and that he met. For the blind man, he offers him rest with restored sight. The sick girl, he heals and offers her rest. For us, it's the same. He offers us rest from the need to control our lives because he has all authority in heaven and earth. He gives us rest from having to create images for other people to see of us because he gives us our identity as his disciples. He offers us rest from fear of the future because he's the one who will establish your path. He offers us rest from the work of trying so hard to be liked and to make everyone else happy because he delights in us. What Jesus offers is a rest that comes from seeing and experiencing the peeling back of the kingdom of sin and death and experiencing God's kingdom as it reaches into time and space, the here and now, in your life, in this moment, in this place. And that serves as a promise and a taste of the eternal rest of the new heavens and the new earth. The rest that Jesus gives us now is real and tangible, but it points to the eternal rest that we will have with the new heavens and the new earth. So we go from one surprise, Jesus as God offering us true rest in a sinful world and beyond, to the equally surprising nature of the type of rest. Jesus says, I'm going to offer you rest, but here's how it comes. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You guys know what a yoke, a yoke is really a, it's a, a bar that goes over the back of a, of a burden-bearing animal that has a, a collar attached to it so that the animal can pull a wagon or a cart, a plow, something like that. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And the yoke that Jesus is referring to is becoming his disciple. But it raises a question, and a fair question. How is it possible that taking a yoke of any kind can be rest? 
And here it is. The reality is that whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or acknowledge it, everyone wears a yoke. Every person through all of history has worn a yoke. In Jewish ears, it may have immediately conjured up the yoke of the law, made all the more heavy by the additions that the Pharisees made. But for every person, every time, the reality is the same. We are yoked to something, whether it's law or idols or self. The idea of total freedom is an illusion, and the yoke of self is the most ruthless of all masters. For every yoke apart from Jesus' yoke will strangle and kill and keep you from rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. The authoritative revealer of God, the Son of God, Jesus the Christ, the creator and sustainer of the universe, comes to us with the gentleness of a servant. The God who is love, extending perfect love to his children. The servant who brings rest for our souls. Jesus is the fulfillment of Jeremiah 6, where Jeremiah says, Stand by the ways, and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you'll find rest for your souls. The ancient paths and the good way that we are talking about is taking on the yoke of the gentle, humble servant, Lord, and King. And that rest that he offers is both immediate and pregnant with the promise of the new heavens and the new earth. I am gentle, and I am humble in heart. That is the revelation of God. A God who is authoritative, powerful, and sovereign, but who comes with a heart that is humble and loving. And he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It doesn't mean that it's simple, but it means that it's joyful. And it means that it is true rest and that it is true life. So I ask you, what are you waiting for? What will it take for you to throw off the yoke that you're wearing and take up Jesus' invitation to replace it with his? So many of us wait and wait and wait, but the time is now. If you search your heart, you will find that rest is what your soul cries out for. Don't be deceived. If you run after other gods, if you take up any yoke, that is not the yoke of Jesus. Any yoke that the world offers or any yoke that you conjure up in your own soul and heart, your sorrows will multiply and bring nothing but despair. But Jesus, Jesus is the Son of God, the authoritative revealer and the King, and his heart is gentle and humble, and he loves us. Come to me, all of you. I know you're weary and I know you're burdened. Let me give you rest you were made to live in as my child and my disciple. I'm the rightful king, and my heart is gentle and humble, and I love you. So come. Let's pray. Gracious, gentle, and loving God, we thank you that you issue an invitation to us that sings to the deepest parts of our hearts and souls to come and to take your rest. Lord, we take that by becoming your disciples. I pray, Father, that you will not allow us to rest 
until we are resting in you. And I pray that we will find our deepest joy and desire in following you and taking your yoke upon our shoulders. Lead us by your Holy Spirit, that we might know you, serve you, and love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.